As I was mentioning a few moments ago, our second lesson for today is a rather odd one. It's from Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. I'll be reading verses in chapter 12. I think they'll also be up on the screen. You just need to know that Paul, who had helped found this church at Corinth, remained in touch with them, and they wrote several letters. We, we at least have two of them. And he's trying to talk about what God was enabling him to do in his ministry. Some were questioning that. And uh, so there's a little bit of divine boasting going on. But here he talks about a revelation. He, he talks about it in the third person, but he's really talking about, I think, a revelation that he had and then what God shared with him. Let's listen now for God's word. Paul says, I know a person in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was called up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told, that no mortal is permitted to repeat. On behalf of such, as one I will boast, but not on my behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, ah, then I am strong. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Guide us, O Lord, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, and that in your will we may discover our peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So here's the key verse. I'll say it again. You'll hear it again. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect 
in weakness. Experience has shown and perhaps taught many of us that it's helpful for us as a Christian community, the Greek word is koinonia, that there are a number of verses that are worth remembering. I imagine you have some of those verses that you remember. For me, they're like this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or the Shema, Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Or another one from the gospel, the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Or one from Paul. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Those are just a few of the ones that have swept into my mind over these 40-some years of ministry. And I'm sure you have verses that you either have by memory or you have underscored in your Bible. It's not that in remembering these words that we're a bunch of holy rollers or that we're trying to proof text a particular doctrine or discipline. No, it's just a living expression that in the Word of God, it abides with us, it speaks to us, it comforts us, even challenges us through this journey of faith we call life. And I would say one of the verses we now call verses that Paul offers in his correspondence with the faith community in Corinth may be one we should add to our list of remembrances. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Paul records it as a revelation he received from God, but what does it mean? How did it apparently speak to Paul so much that he could share it? And most importantly, how may these words be of use to us? Well, these letters of Paul to the church at Corinth Corinth was a cosmopolitan city in Achaia in what was and is now Greece, is more accurately described as a correspondence. Indications are that there were probably more than just two letters back and forth, perhaps maybe even three or four letters between Pastor Paul and the church he helped to establish there. In fact, the selected reading we call 2 Corinthians chapter 12 may actually be from one of those third or fourth letters the apostle wrote to this rather troublesome community of faith. Now let me explain. There are some churches like Westminster in these days that are moving along in ministry on a rather steady pace, caring for others, 
exploring new ideas, above all, worshiping and serving God, reaching out with Christ. I love that phrase, to an ever-changing world. I mean, you all are doing things well. I love coming to worship with you. But that was not the case with First Church Corinth. Some churches, like Corinth, and I suppose you know what I'm talking about here, some of them are troublesome churches. I remember a minister advising me as I was a seminarian. He said, Clay, there are churches that will love you to death, and there are churches that will eat you up. Try to find a loving church. And fortunately, I did in my ministry. But these are churches that are split into different factions, bickering with one another, often blaming their problems, not on themselves, of course, but on who? <laughs> the pastor. They usually say things were fine until he or she showed up, which, of course, is not true. But it sounds good when people stand around in the church parking lot or maybe at coffee fellowship after worship. Thank goodness Westminster is not like that, and I give thanks to God for that. But First Church Corinth was becoming that way, and undoubtedly it distressed Paul to hear it was happening. Hard to know what exactly the problem was, but deciphering the responses Paul made in his second, perhaps third letter, scholars and teachers have provided us with some clues even this 12th chapter gives us some idea because Paul, albeit naturally a bit defensive, gives the biting, cantankerous Corinthians some insight into his own life. He kind of gives a self-portrait, some evidence of his own authority and an all-important lesson that he was learning. Some call what I just read to you his boasting speech. Here's what he says. On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. And then he tells them of this revelation he had years before caught up in the third heaven, the setting in Jewish thought of paradise. Does that sound familiar? Garden? But he is reticent about any details of the experience, for these were words too sacred to tell. He says, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations, but to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But God said to me, here's that verse, my grace is sufficient for you, for power. For power is made perfect in weaknesses. Now you and I, as I have, may be wondering what Paul is talking about here. What's this thorn in the flesh business. Was it really a physical ailment like blindness as some have suggested or some other handicap? Was it an emotional problem he was having? Or maybe a spiritual weakness that may have led the learned tent maker away from the ways of God? Friends, we don't know. 
and we'll probably never know this side of glory, what may be of greater import to us is what Paul learned and shared in his dealing with thorns. You and I might ask God to remove thorns, but God may be using them in our weakness to achieve greater good. That's the hard message of this day. Thorns, physical, emotional, spiritual, may abide all around us. We could probably make our own list of thorns. Some of us may even be thorns. No, no, not you. But I can say that to some folks I've encountered, a prickly thorn I have been, I confess. The point is, we all have thorns and we have to deal with them. We might not label them as messengers of Satan. Sounds a bit dramatic. But we might acknowledge the adversarial role they play in our lives. The matter before us, it seems, is how we manage them. Reminded the story of a plumber who was having an awful day. An awful time. He had a flat tire on his way to work. There, his electric drill quit on him. His old one-ton truck refused to start at the end of the day. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. His employer, though, drove the plumber home that evening. And he noticed that the workman just sat in stony silence all the way to his house. And on arriving at his house... The man invited his boss to come in and meet his family. And as he walked to the front door, he paused at a little tree, sort of touched the various branches of the tree with his hands. And when he opened the door of his house, an amazing transformation occurred. Smiling broadly, he hugged his two children and gave his wife a big kiss. Later, as the two men were walking back to the car, they, they walked past the tree and the employer spoke up. What's with this tree? What were you doing as we came in? The plumber smiled and said, Oh, <laughs> that's my trouble tree. I can't help but have troubles when I'm on the job. But one thing's for sure, those troubles don't belong in my house with my wife and kids. So, <laughs> mentally, I just come and hang them up on the tree every night when I come home and ask God to take care of them. Then in the morning, I stop and pick them up again. But, you know, funny thing is... When I come in the morning to pick them up, there aren't nearly as many troubles hanging on that tree as I remember leaving the night before. It may help us to remember that sometimes, maybe oftentimes, God uses thorns to the greater good of all. Just two weeks ago, we celebrated the 245th anniversary of Independence Day. It's just hard to believe. But have you ever wondered what happened 
to the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Here's something I read, cannot guarantee it is completely true, but certainly gives me pause to think, and I commend it to you. Did you know that five signers were captured by the British as traitors and were tortured before they died? Did you know that? Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground. Two lost their sons serving in the Revolutionary Army, and another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds and hardships of the Revolutionary War. I never knew that. What kind of people were they? 24 were lawyers and jurists. 11 were merchants. Nine were farmers. Some were plantation owners. These were people of well means and well educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty of death would await them if they were captured. They had security, valued liberty, though, even more. Standing tall and straight and unwavering in their pledge, they said, for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. These men, many of whom were Presbyterian, were undoubtedly thorns in the side of many, like King George III, the British Parliament, even to some of their own compatriots here. But consider the alternative if they had not raised the thorny issue of rebellion and revolution against injustice. My grace is sufficient to you, for power is made perfect in weakness. That's among the lessons Paul learned in his enduring difficulty, whatever it was. And that's what he conveyed, not in a boastful way, to the troublesome church in Corinth at all. That's a verse perhaps you, as well as I, will find worth remembering in our dealing with thorns and in our coming and going from this table of grace. To God be all praise and glory forever and ever. Amen.